Hi, this is Andy Brewer with the Northwest AHEC Healthcare Insights Podcast. Today I have Amy Greeson. She's the founder and executive director, producer, and host of Healing Seekers. She's a pharmacist by training, an educator, lecturer, writer, and world traveler. So welcome, Amy. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. So you've been to quite a few uh, interesting places. Um, I've written down some here. You Congo, New Guinea, Madagascar, Ecuador. Um, where are you off to next? Uh, next on the list is Indonesia. Okay. And so fingers crossed, uh, the Borneo region. And what's uh, there that, that takes you there? We never know. Uh, we like to go to those areas that haven't been explored. Uh, the areas that are most biodiverse mm. and the areas that are seriously threatened with habitat loss and destruction. And about anywhere you look these days, you're, you're going to find that, that, that last credential. Uh, there's so much um, demise of our, our jungles and our forests now. Mm-hmm. Now, Healing Seekers is kind of an educational uh, a company, I guess you would say, or group that, that is, I guess, working with schools and curriculum to get cultural and, and environmental awareness um, or increase that. But also, yeah. I'm, I'm, as far as your training as a pharmacist or in some places they call them chemists, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, how much of your travel is related to looking at uh, traditional ways of using plants and animals as medicine? Well, we have... The nonprofit, like you mentioned, Healing Seekers, and that's a, a 501c3 based here in Guilford County. Uh, but we also have a for-profit, Natural Discoveries Incorporated, and we have lab space over at the Wake Forest Innovation Quarter. And uh, so on every one of the expeditions, we take a film team, and that is under Healing Seekers. And the film team just, they film extensively. And from that footage, we create these educational videos. And those educational videos are are, uh, primarily in two different distribution venues in the U.S., uh, two of the largest ones. And so it puts uh, our educational materials accessible in about 100,000 schools. Uh, And then for the for-profit with the research, what we do is we collect the specimens. We work very closely with the indigenous villages and, and, and tribes and healers. And we bring those specimens back to our lab here at Wake Forest, and we create extracts. And then those extracts, we sort of funnel them out to a variety of different researchers so that are studying specific things like cancer, AIDS, malaria. Uh, we have sent quite um, a bundle of extracts all for agricultural testing. Uh, but we also love the exploration of the herbal and botanical. So pharmaceutical, herbal, botanical, natural. Uh, we're looking at maybe some teas here in the next year. It just depends on what happens with that. Wow. So how, how do you go about doing the legwork of getting access to, I mean, you, I've seen some of the films that you've put out and you go into some pretty primitive cultures and villages and tribes and, and how do you arrange those things? And has it always been met with welcoming or do you get some resistance or, I mean, and, and then also how do you build that trust where, you know, you're going to get some information that you're seeking, but you know, what do they ask for in return? So I, that's a loaded question, but no, it's, it's a great question. First, we usually go through uh, the embassies uh, and if not the embassy, we usually find a guide service 
so for example, in the Congo, there's not much tourism in the Congo. And so it took us quite a while. I think it took me about eight months to find a, a guide service, a logistics guide service that we could use. Uh, and they will hire like a local Congolese uh, who will become your guide and translators. And then um, every single time you go to a new region, it is a process of your guides communicating with them and the acceptance there, and slowly and surely you move forward. But the areas that we go, we, we specifically go to those areas that we don't see any documentation of any kind of collections or footage. Uh, so we, we want can't be in the forefront we don't want to be uh, in the game at all mm -hmm. and so we always want to go to those areas that haven't been explored so for example we worked with the um uh, i'm blanking andy on the organization uh they provided satellite images over mm -hmm. that section of the congo and we use those satellite images to basically create our trail because the worst thing you can do is to be heading in an, in an area for a week and then all of a sudden you're at a dead end because you're in a vast swamp or a cliff that's in, in, impassable. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that's what we do. We work with the locals who work with the locals who work with the locals. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing. It's, you go into these these areas, and, and there have been so many villages and tribes that have never welcomed white man before. Now, they've seen white man along the river or whatever, but never really welcomed them into their villages. But we've always had a great experience. Uh, the only time that we have any kind of conflict is in the larger cities when we arrive, and they're they're used to uh, outsiders, and um, it, it's it's a different mentality than when you go into a more remote area. I always say it's sort of like my grandparents. My grandparents were in Alamance County, and someone could be walking along the road, and if they were just wanted to, to talk or say hello, or if they were hungry or thirsty, my grandparents would say, come sit down, let me fix you something to eat. Believe it or not, even though you don't speak the same languages, that's the kind of welcoming we've gotten. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll also add that they're also quite spiritual. And uh, I do believe that there is, uh, it's just that gut impression. You know a good person and mm -hmm. you know a bad person sometimes. You get those feelings. Uh, but we have had some of the most wonderful experiences. And over the years, uh, some of those healers have become some of my really good friends, too. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, I was going to, when you were saying that, I was like, the human spirit's alive. And, yes. and you are like, a, you're like a legit explorer. You're not some ecotourist just no, bugging out looking for the best teas and stuff like that. You're actually looking to explore things off the beaten path. It, it is interesting because uh, you know, there's nothing plush. Uh, about these trips. I mean, absolutely, there's nothing plush. You are carrying 45, 55-pound pack. Your porters and, and trackers are carrying 70, 80-pound packs. Uh, there are no trails. Uh, in the Congo, GPS didn't work because the canopy is so thick. There's no satellite out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so you rely you know, explicitly on your, 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 your guide and your trackers. Uh, but it was also the most difficult for the team because not only was the jungle the most difficult to navigate and 
the organisms and the creatures that we had to battle were, were more intense than any jungle I've ever been in. But, um, when we were out of the jungle, resupplying and, 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 you know, getting new logistics and such, uh, we were picked up by police five times and put in jail twice. And I don't know if you've seen the, the show Locked Up Abroad or I, I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of it. Uh, it. It's horrifying when you see these stories, but I tell you, that's exactly what it's like. It's, it's quite horrifying to be in that situation where you have no power and uh, you you really don't know what your fate uh, is, is yeah, going to be. Yeah, that's got to be scary. So yeah. back to, you know, being welcomed in to these places that aren't familiar with, you know, the modern man, I would say. And, and uh, I guess, you know, I guess they do have uh, a sixth sense to pick up if your intentions are good or not. And because you come in, in this spirit of discovery, but discovery for preserving culture and protecting the environment and creating uh, remedies for, you know, humankind that maybe they sense that. And and that's why you're accepted versus there for exploiting natural resources, let's say. Exactly. And and it's all about teamwork. Uh, We we work with them. Um, Every time that we go back, it is totally up to them. If this isn't feeling good, it's all over. Uh, it doesn't matter if a researcher has got the best thing in the world. Uh, if you don't have a good, solid, good relationship, uh, you, you're not going to have those supply chains to continue. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, it wasn't our discovery. We are just the middleman. Uh, the discoveries are always with the indigenous people. Uh, the knowledge, the wisdom that has gone on for for generations, hundreds if not thousands of years. And, you know, we are trying to ethically do the best we can to make sure that 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 doesn't die. And that's what we're seeing is is in these areas. We were back in Madagascar in in September and October, and uh, the primary healer that we've worked with for years uh, has passed away. And his sons have gone on to do more Western things. They're gravitating more towards the cities and money and, and materialistic things. And, and you can't you can't knock them for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something was lost. In exactly. The when we would say the name of a plant, uh, there was just a, a daze, you know, a glaze that came over their eyes. And it was like, you know. Oh, am I supposed to know that? <laughs> and thank goodness the healer's brother, who is also an elder, uh, was able to do that. But y- you can see very quickly with the generations the loss of that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and if something um, isn't preserved or if we don't, I think, in, in some ways help them by offering opportunities to grow crops – Instead of us, meaning outsiders, coming in and offering them opportunities by buying their land, mm-hmm. um, if they start growing crops, they they can protect their land and continue to live where they are. What we're seeing, though, is they love development. And I'm speaking specifically in Papua New Guinea, and this is according to our guide. They love development, and so they think that to be worldly, they need to be developed. And development means logging. It means 
having roads. It means having these finer things in life. And, uh, but unfortunately, it's also at the demise of their land. And Andy, we can't talk. You know, I, I grew up in Thomasville. And I remember roads were two lanes or now mm-hmm. six and eight lanes. Yeah. And so we're doing the same thing. It's just all over the world. I, I think, uh, and I don't know what the answer is, but if, if we can help in some way to keep that balance where they maintain the things that they love and, uh, and, and be of service to them mm-hmm. uh, while also maybe helping the rest of the world, then I think we've done our job. Yeah, I saw a lot of parallels as you were talking to, uh, as you were talking about that, to our region here um, in the rural counties where the kids, you know, the farm life wasn't good enough for them or in society's eyes. So they leave and go to the cities or at least go into manufacturing or something like that. And then when those jobs dry up, they go back and the skills are lost or even they don't have the farms again. And so you're seeing that play out in such negative ways as like the opioid crisis and, you know, and, and other things that are happening that, you know, because the meaning and purpose has disappeared um, and that development didn't pay off in the way that they thought they were promised. Now we have these issues like really, uh, really profound health of the community issues that we're trying to grapple with. And we're trying to grapple with it here in healthcare with trying to uh, treat addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the opposite of addiction, I've said it many times, is social connection. And we got to get back to social connection. And one of those ways, I mean, you grew up in Thomasville, I grew up in Stanley County in a rural area. And a lot of that connection was with the soil and with the community growing food and sharing. And, you know, it wasn't so much about commerce and it wasn't so much about, you know, progress in the sense that we, you know, everything has to be a big building and fancy cars and nice clothes and all that. But, um, you know, I love that you said the word balance because I think getting people in a more comfortable place um, and less uh, less uh, exposed to things that can kill you, like living in the bush, getting eaten by a tiger, let's say, or or even a small bug that you can't even see that, that can get you. I mean, that's a great thing for them, but also losing their sense of who they are. And that's what they don't realize, I don't think. And that's what we need to carefully educate that population to say, hey, look, yeah, it comes at a cost. Right. And, and that's why I love what, what the approach that you're taking is to go out and meet them where they are and you know, show them how much we value what it is that, that they still are maintaining and trying to help them understand the value of maintaining that. Uh, These are some great points. And I, it, it's fascinating because what I've realized is that uh, w- the world is more dependent upon them than they are ever dependent upon us. I mean, honestly, they would be doing so much better uh, with without uh, the intrusion, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it's something that every single time I meet with an elder or with a healer, they teach me more than anything I could ever bring to them. Uh, but it's interesting because when you're out in the field for a couple of months and you are totally secluded and 
there's no preservatives in our food. There's no Coca-Colas. Well, they do have Coca-Colas when you get <laughs> you to the, them, yeah, yeah, absolutely, when you get back to the cities. But you live in the moment and you breathe and there's there, no cell phones and there's no computers. I mean, we have our laptops that we're uploading data and blah, blah, blah. But people are interacting and, and, and it, it's just sort of like you're saying, you know, with the soul, we played outside every single day. We were playing kickball and, and riding our bikes, and, and you don't see a lot of kids doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think when you are connected to nature, uh, I think when you live in, in the present moment, there is a peacefulness that abides that you, okay, I will say I have a hard time if I've been in the lab all day or if I've been on a computer all day or uh, it doesn't matter what if I'm I'm technical all mm-hmm. day instead of just breathing the air and, mm-hmm. and um, but anyway I'm going back and I'm trying to remember your other points because you made some really really great points well I was there. just kind of ranting but no <laughs> I think I mean, well, I mean there's <laughs> no, a lot there there's so much there I mean I you know the the fact that we you know, make an effort to go, or a lot of us do make an effort to go, say, to Hanging Rock or Pilot Mountain, just to get out and hike and see something that's not buildings. And I've I've talked a lot about how I go to Salem Lake to run, and I don't like to have headphones. I like to hear nature. I like to I not see ex- evidence of humans. You know, once yeah. in a while you'll pass someone, and it's a smile, and and but it's like you're out in nature and you get in that flow state. It's hard to reach when you're surrounded by buildings and cars and the noises of humanity. So I think, you know, a couple things that, um, you know, in, in your times in these villages, I mean, what what is the what are the events that bring the people together? And I'm thinking like the, the, the fire, you know, everyone, you know, when I lived in the Caribbean, we'd build a fire and everyone, you know, that was entertainment, just watching the fire and right, keeping right. that going. And then when that went out, then looking up at the night sky, un, unabated by light pollution i mean just the the richness that is the night sky and we don't see that here in the city it's miraculous isn't it yeah Yeah. so so those are those kinds of things that ground us to nature that we we in our modern society we don't have and Mm -hmm. i just think that that has to be something that you notice very acutely when you're out there amongst the people and just seeing how they you know they may take it for granted but it's probably giving them a, a great grounding to to their livelihoods. And and I think what they don't understand is a, a month in the city probably drive them crazy. Exactly, exactly. So I love New York City, but after about three days, I'm ready to come home back to, <laughs> to, to, to Guilford County. Um, you know, it, 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 I'll, I'll give you an example of, of how, so you were talking about in the villages, and it is, it's so peaceful. Uh, and at, at dark, that's the first thing you see are there are the campfires, and they're either preparing food or just sitting around talking. Uh, we were in a, a village in um, where were we in Papua New Guinea, and one of the elders came, and it was at night, and we were just sitting around the fire, and he said, "You know, tomorrow I want to show you one of the most powerful medicines of of our village," and. Our guide's wife, her father, was the chief of the tribe. So our guide had, that was one of the reasons he wanted us to stop, because he knew all the people and knew we would be welcomed and and, and so forth. 
Um, so the next day we get an, an SUV and we go quite some distance off, you know, just making our own trail. And then we walk for a distance. And the elder has a stop and he disappears into the brush. And about an hour later, he comes back. And through the translator, he's explaining that he wants to share with us this powerful medicine of his people. But in order to do so, he first needed to go to the tree to ask the spirit of the tree permission for us to even come close to it. And so we walked uh, to the tree. And then uh, I, I guess either a guide or something had asked something about maybe taking some specimens. So then again, he reverently asked the tree and, and allowed us to take specimens. But this tree, uh, what they do is, is they use a part of the tree. They create a tea. And what they do, they, they say that they use this for the most difficult things when nothing else works, the most severe infections. Uh, HIV is rampant in, in, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, they claim that it can cure HIV. Mm -hmm. They claim that it cures cancer. And I said, you know, how do you know cancer? And uh, when somebody is very sick, they will often transport them to a local medical missionary clinic. And the diagnosis is typically made there. Uh, but anyway, so... Uh, we we uh, started talking about this the next day we got back and our guide was like, you know, I have known this village and the people here for 30 some years and I never knew this tree existed. And then when we asked around, or he asked around, we did not. But he found out it's the only tree anywhere around that anybody knows that exists. And it's just it's just that connection it, it's not just to nature, but it is a reverence of nature, and it's a reverence of that spiritual side. And for us, as, as, as researchers anyway, the interesting thing is most of the time that they say something is used for something, and we extrapolate that back, there's a high percentage that our researchers find indeed something there that they have alluded to. Mm -hmm. And you know, we, we have over 55% of our pharmaceuticals have come from these natural compounds in mm -hmm. nature. And uh, the majority of those were discovered because an indigenous person found. And it's not like we can go into the jungle and, 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 and randomly collect hundreds of specimens and screen them. Uh, your, your chances are very small that you're going to find something that's significant. Mm -hmm. But these indigenous people who either through the spirit world, uh, through dreams, uh, through methods that they're not even aware of at, at this point in their in the generations, uh, somehow their ancestors realized what plant was used for what, what bark was used for what, and it's it's astounding. Yeah, and how quickly we can just erase it from the face of the earth that's yes. what you know we one of our themes here at the at the medical center and in our enterprise is trust and how to build it and it, as you were talking i was like wow that feathers right into it because it takes a long time or it can take a long time to build trust and in healthcare settings that long time might be two minutes mm -hmm. might be 30 seconds right um right. but it only takes a fraction of a second to lose it and as you were talking i was like wow it, you know it takes 
it can take millennium to find and to perfect these remedies and then just a second with a chainsaw to just destroy d- just destroy it and i think we've probably lost quite a few potential you know panaceas for a lot of things mm-hmm. just by clear cutting forests and not not really giving the respect um, to that indigenous knowledge that that was already there, you know. I mean, I, we've used plants as medicine since there's been humans, and and we we scoff at the idea, or, or at least conventionally trained physicians may. Oh, you're going to put what on what, and you're right. going to take what for that? No, no, no. We have a we have a tablet that will prescribe you, and and so we, you know, I, th- I think that's coming back into the curriculum that, that you know the the homeopathic and the herbal medicines because I think people finally said, hey, you know, or at least looked closer and said, hey, there's something there, and we need to look at that. Mm-hmm. And the anecdote that I have is living down in the Caribbean is. You know, for a cough, someone would say, oh, here, go drink this tea here. And you're like, what is it? And it's, you know, black sage or or if you're having um, muscle spasms, you know, here, take this nutmeg, um, little pieces of nutmeg and put it between your cheek and gum and just suck on it. Mm-hmm. And, and it works. Yeah, and, it? and those things work. And now you start seeing these products, like I'll see a product, um, well, an easy one is is laxative you know, these laxative teas. Well, what's the ingredient? The senna. senna. Right. Yeah, which down in the Caribbean they call a wild coffee. Oh, but you grind that up. It and is make wild, it, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> you, you make it? You make a drink with that and you'll know real quick. <laughs> you know if you've got the right stuff too, yeah. don't you? And, and but that's another thing. Um, people will regularly use that like once a month mm-hmm. and have a clean out. It's like a detox. And it's just culturally... That's something you do, right. and we we wouldn't think of doing that no, here. You know, no. we just don't think of doing that here. Now, of course, every year I'd bring my kids down there and stay for the summer. Then I have to deworm them, you know, when they right. come back, and then give them a detox and all that. But you know what to do. Yeah, so you give uh-huh. them a dose of Zentel and some Senna, and let them go. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good book to read. Right? Yeah, right. So, so there's, you know. I think we need to bring that reverence. And, and, you know, I I read recently and I shared before we started recording is that there's this interest in muscadines and how Mm -hmm. much, you know, we always joke about the wines made from muscadine, all that sweet North Carolina wines. Right, right. And and now that um, those vines are being grafted with these grapes from Italy and France and Northern California and all these, North Carolina's got some fantastic wines now. And here, right here in the Yakin Valley, I mean, 20 minutes west of here. Isn't that amazing? And we're drinking great wines. Wine, but now we're looking back at the muscadine and say, hey, wait a minute, let's not get rid of this so quickly. Right. There's some great research with that. And I, I think that um, right here at Wake Forest, right? Mm-hmm. That has yeah, that's been going so. on for quite some time. I've followed it uh, on and off and, and just very, very impressive. Uh, I've had a lot of people that have asked me about that over the years and uh, just brilliant scientist. But, you know, I wanted to go back to, there was a, a thought that I had, and um, I know that a lot of your listeners are mainstream medical practitioners. And, mm-hmm. and when I graduated from pharmacy school, I thought that every prescription that I was dispensing was synthetically created because we weren't taught that a lot of the pharmaceuticals had really been derived from these novel compounds found in nature. But, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just give oh, a, a couple of absolutely. examples. 
um, one of the big blood pressure medicines that we use are called ACE inhibitors. And these are by the names like lisinopril, captopril, enalapril, zestrel, so forth. Uh, but the original source was uh, the venom of a, a venomous pit viper down in South America, Bothrops jararca. And this researcher noticed that when the snake struck its prey, it caused a life-threatening plunge in, in blood pressure. So they looked at that venom and isolated and created the first one, which was captopril. Uh, and then your anti-diabetic agents like uh, glucophage, metformin, which is... Uh, purported to be the world's most widely prescribed anti-diabetic now. Um, but the original source of that was uh, the French lilac plant. And then another anti-diabetic drug uh, is an injectable called Bietta. And the Bietta comes from um, the saliva of the Gila monster. You know, Gila oh, monster is yeah, venomous yeah. lizards, right? Uh, well, they only eat a handful of times a year, but scientists noticed that they, they kept this steady sugar insulin level. And they research, research, and I don't know how they figured this stuff out, but I found a hormone in that saliva, and they synthetically created that and um, and, and developed Bietta. But, you know, I love the power of the whole plant. Uh, I think it's amazing how we isolate those compounds and, and create these drugs. And I think that it has done wonders in our world for, for, for treating a, a myriad of, of diseases and conditions. Uh, I also like the, the healing power of the whole plant uh, with herbal and botanical. And for me, there's a place for, for both. And uh, one of the... the image that just immediately comes to mind is is um, in, in the Pacific Northwest, there was a tree, the Pacific yew tree. And when loggers would come along, they'd see a Pacific yew tree and they would just cut it down and, and just discard it off to the side because it was a nuisance. It just had no commercial value. Oh, lo and behold, several years later, um, a couple of researchers determined and, and found that there was a something in the bark that was killing several types of cancer, unlike anything that they'd seen. So they worked, they isolated that compound, and, and they created a drug from it. Uh, and we called it paclitaxel or taxol, and we mm -hmm. dispensed that for years. But later we realized, we, the scientists, uh, realized that the compound didn't specifically come from the bark, uh, it was a symbiotic relationship with a microbe in the bark. So this tiny little organism and its interaction with that bark, and together they created that compound. And there was a problem, though. It had this great thing going on. And so they realized that in order to treat just the ovarian, and I believe it was the melanoma patients in the United States alone just for one year, it was going to take what they calculated about 360,000 trees a year. And so it became a no-brainer. You mm -hmm. know, In no time, that tree would have become extinct, uh, and only a handful of people would have gotten it. So it really became imperative at that point is it, you know, to take that miracle in nature and, and marry it with the brilliance of science and, and try and create a synthetic compound. Right. And that's what they did. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of times that people say, oh, well, there's the, the natural and, you know, it's best that we stay with the natural. Um, and and I, I love that. Uh, I love, you know, all of that. 
what I'm seeing every single time we go back in these countries is that these trees and these plants are, are, are becoming, uh, there are not many of them. Mm-hmm. We used to see this lush green rainforest, and now it's dry desert land. And uh, I think that, that um, there are a lot of things that we can be doing that you know, I, I think as outsiders, we've contributed a huge amount to that loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if not the majority of all of that. Um, but I don't know what the answers are. Mm-hmm. I just, I fear that the track that we're on is, is not good. And I do know that we, we need to change course and, and redirect in some way. Mm-hmm. Was well, the optimist, uh, the eternal optimist, I would say, you know, the, the word balance again, um, understanding what the impact could be. Um, if we find the, the, the cure all for everything in a plant that's very rare, you know, then it becomes up to us to use our knowledge and, and, and technology and, and know how to find that, how to replicate that in, in the lab versus uh, eradicating the, the thing that gives us the miracle miracle cure so so i think and and i i think we are finding uh some you know at least the the issue is at the forefront of climate change and and whether it's you know you know what what part of that man has to play in it which i think significant i mean there's certainly things that we we have done over the last hundred years to to pollute our world that we need to stop doing and now we need to um, clean up, mitigate that, and find new ways to generate our power and and, and maybe less war and stop you know polluting that, um, things that way. But um, I think there's a there is a renewed resurgence in the reverence for nature. I mean, you know, you see it every day. This this plant based uh, diet, this 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 herb's gonna cure this thing and and even in the islands um, where i've lived is you know during times of drought everyone came back to the moringa tree and then they Mm -hmm. would dry the moringa and create smoothies with it now they have blenders and stuff or even just take the dry capsules because it suppresses appetite but it's also the nutritional profile on it's just tremendous so Mm -hmm. it would sustain you during times of uh, of of uh, real lack of of food and stuff, but it also suppress your appetite, so you weren't even that hungry. Isn't that great? Yeah, and then also, um, I'm going to ask you this: uh, a friend of mine who who does a uh, like permaculture down in the island, she uh, grows all these herbs and lettuces and stuff, and and um, her thought was during these times of, of drought when they just have just enough water to keep the roots alive and, you know, they maybe get a couple leaves on everything. She claims that the leaves that she does get from during those times are actually more potent. Like like they know that they're uh, at, at, you know, uh, being stressed and therefore they they become more resilient and they produce more of what is is uh you know more of the nutrients more of the power are just concentrated in less of the plant is there any any truth to that i i i I can see it uh Mm -hmm. plants are brilliant we have plants that if uh, they they can um detect a disease causing virus and will 
release chemicals to try and defend themselves from, from that virus. But the amazing thing is that, that, that they found out that these chemicals are also released into the air and they warn neighboring plants. It's almost like danger, danger. You know, we've got mm-hmm. a problem over here. Those plants will start to produce those compounds, even though they haven't had any interaction with the virus. And then there are other plants that when there is a particular caterpillar, now, I, Andy, I have no idea how in the <laughs> world they figured this out, but somebody figured out that there's something in the caterpillar's saliva that uh, alerts the plant, and the plant will then release these chemicals that attract wasps, the wasp will come down, they will lay their eggs in the caterpillar, the eggs hatch, and the caterpillar dies. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's, 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 it's that survival of the fittest. It's um, constantly mutating. They're constantly getting stronger. It's, it's like chemical warfare in mm-hmm. these jungles, which is why we have so many of our pharmaceuticals from these areas. Um, so with your friend, I, I, I could... I absolutely see it. I, we, we think sometimes that other organisms and, and uh, species of life are not intelligent, but the, the older I get, I'm in my 50s, uh, the older I get, the more I realize that I really don't know anything and <laughs> that there are things that these organisms and even plants and animals know and, and, and respond to that... I, I can't even comprehend. Like, yeah. we have a dog, and how this dog knows at exactly five o'clock it is time to eat, and at exactly nine it is time to go in his crate, <laughs> and and it's like you know I can't mm-hmm. even do that, and I have a watch, but uh, well, I think yeah, the the complex systems of nature are so hard to reproduce in a lab because there's things mm-hmm. that we don't even think about, and. Of course, the plants are silent when they speak, and we can't. We haven't learned how to pick up on their their uh, wavelength to communicate directly with them. But mm-hmm. you know, if we can observe enough of nature before it's destroyed, maybe we'll learn this and be able to to replicate it in those ways. Which brings me to um, the title of your book and the silent speak or the silent spoke. Right. I should say, which is available on Amazon, I've, I saw, and yeah. probably off your website. There's two at healingseekers.com. Can you tell me tell me about the book? Let's go into that yeah. a little bit. Well, first of all, it took six years. So I don't know what that says about me as a writer, but, uh, you know, when you're working full time, I, I uh, did my writing on the weekends, and, and it took a long time. But uh, it's really my most favorite stories of the treks and the expeditions that we've done. Uh, and it goes back to the 90s before Healing Seekers. Healing Seekers and Natural Discoveries weren't formed until 2006, 2008, respectively. Uh, so this this goes back earlier in my life as well when I started to get an interest in integrative medicine and, and, and working with natural products. Um, but it really is, I, I in the book... Um, I didn't want it to be chronological. Uh, you know, this year I did this. I, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's going to be a little boring to me. But what I did was I projected myself as an older lady, and I'm retelling these favorite stories to my nieces and nephews. And so the, the stories themselves are all accurate uh, and the details. And But what I realized is after we did that first draft, um, with the, the editor and then the publisher, we, 
And I looked back at those stories, I realized that they were some of the most difficult times on, on those treks. And I started thinking about that. And I thought, you know, those difficulties are what crafted me and created the person I am today. And every person has experiences in their lives and, and you have highs and lows. Uh, I certainly have been on my knees more than I've been on mountaintops. Uh, it's been a huge struggle, everything that, that we've done. Uh, but the, in, in, in the long run, it's been worth every single bit of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the stories are, are just adventures. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I have to tell you, before, before I came over here, I was told that it won a, a gold award with the, uh, nonfiction authors association in the United States. Yeah, I so, saw that on Twitter. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, I don't even really tweet that much. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it's, I think it's an enjoyable read and it is a quick read, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, um, hopefully we'll, will show people uh, the things that we've done and the places that we've gone and maybe hear some stories of things that uh, maybe they typically would not hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe it'll encourage some people to get out of their comfort zone too. Cause I think a lot of people, especially in this developed world, um, we have it so comfortable. We live in mm-hmm. such comfort and such lack of lack that we could create our own problems and we create our own oppression mm-hmm. and we 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 tr- we look for something to lash out and to blame instead of like wait there are ways to challenge yourself and there are ways to build resilience right. that are f- way far beyond what i can find right here in my living room you know sitting on my couch right. you know you know on my keyboard looking at how you know how angry twitter is or something <laughs> and yeah. you do you have to Honestly, take yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, don't let anybody steal your joy. I tell myself all the time, it's easy said, but not, not easily done. Mm-hmm. Um, but with us, you know, when I started all of this, you know, everybody's like, there's no position for a pharmacist going into the jungles of the world to look for new treatments. Uh, and believe me, there's no pay there. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's, you have to think, outside the box and every time there's a problem or a dilemma uh, you, you go down and a door is shut you know look for something else it, it's only when you give up that you fail mm-hmm. uh, I can look at the the grants that we've been we, we haven't gotten or oh you know what I consider the failures in my life and they're they're numerous but the thing is is that you know, I, I learned ways maybe not to do or that that wasn't the course that my life was meant to take, which redirected me in a completely different area. Mm-hmm. And I, I look back and I I, uh, I think you have opportunities in your life and it's always your decision whether you accept them or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those opportunities are often the teamwork the people that come into your life and that open the doors that allow you to participate and make a difference in this world. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I think travel does that in general. I mean, getting out of, you know, people complain about the U.S. and and, and all the political divide that we have. And it's, you know, and, and the problems that we have culturally and, and, and we talk about social determinants of health and the inequities and, and you know, there. And it's just like compared to where, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you've probably seen some stuff in your travels that are like, wow, you know. We wouldn't, you know, most of the people in America wouldn't even imagine what life is like for some of these people. It, it is the uh, the lack of freedom, mm-hmm. uh, lack of food, water, uh, medicine, uh, all of that, and it, it, we have so much here. And I think um, an, an attitude of gratitude is essential mm-hmm. with um, the way that we look at our lives. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think going into a place with your energy, I mean, I sensed it when, when I met you years ago at, at okay. one of your functions downtown and, and just seeing your smile and hearing your voice on podcasts and, and our mutual friends that we have. Yeah. Um, I, I bet that that vibe that you give off is, you know, when you travel, that serves you well in, in that people sense that here is a good person. She doesn't look like us. She's from a place we only hear about in maybe some negative light, but, but let's, let's look at the person themselves and not have these biases around that. Mm-hmm. And I, you certainly give that off. I feel it. So I'm, I'm well, sure that served you, you well, even, you. even when you were in jail and in wherever it was. <laughs> I think, I think the, uh, uh, it, it's interesting too being a woman because I have got an amazing team and they're all, strong young men. Um, but there have been times that we've gone in a village and, and sometimes uh, the little kids are afraid because they've never seen the white face and they think you're a ghost or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I don't know, Andy. Life is just wonderful. I mean, it really, really is. And if you are looking to take advantage of someone or uh, I, I think you're not going to last long mm-hmm. in doing the things, but it, there's a great joy in, in teamwork and, and working together for a higher purpose. And uh, I've been very blessed to have that opportunity to work with people on those kind of things. So how do you get from Chapel Hill with a degree in pharmacy to Alaska? And then oh. was there, did you have that adventuresome streak, you know, from a childhood, I mean, where where did you go from Alaska to then you came back around a pharmacy, and then all of a sudden you're like, I got to go to Madagascar or Congo or you know, yeah. tell me a little bit about that thought process. It just, I don't know where it all started. My father, <laughs> my father is very outdoorsy, so when I was in sixth grade, I remember Dad feeling one of the canoes with a lot of buoyancy, right? So and then sticking me in this canoe, and and we went down the Nanahela. My dad in one canoe, and I'm in the other, and I'm barely up above, you know, so you can see. Uh, but there was no way. There was so much flotation. There was no way that that, that canoe was going to flip. Uh, so my father has a, a huge love for the outdoors. Um, my mother would prefer to stay in a hotel, uh, and, and <laughs> I don't blame camp. her because yeah. that's, that's certainly nice. Uh, but, you know, I, when I was in, in pharmacy school, 
uh, I was president of, of one of the clubs there. And because of that, I was awarded a uh, externship with the public health service. And they took me up to Alaska uh, for the summer. And, and it, I fell in love mm-hmm. and was offered a job and decided to stay up there. And, you know, it's just beautiful country, but I just had a good time. I mm-hmm. hiked. I, I, I still, I didn't understand natural medicine until I was later in life. So back in, in my late twenties, uh, early thirties is when I really started doing things. So mm-hmm. I was a late bloomer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just do. I just, I love nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also love nice warm shower and, and, and good food <laughs> well, and a nice beer. A cold well, like beer. you said, gratitude. I mean, you appreciate it. And, 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 you know, as we've been talking, I've I just been thinking about how important nature is for us to appreciate those things, because I think nature being in touch with nature, I mean, certainly in Alaska, you're in touch with the seasons a lot mm-hmm. more than you are here in North Carolina. I mean, we have hot summer and then all boom turn the switch and now it's fall a a nice fall (laughs) yeah yeah finally got here and then you know we we do see we do have the seasons here but you know out west and certainly in alaska you have to be like resilient Mm -hmm. and, and and aware and i think just being closer to nature allows you to intuit more about people yes you know and and there and i think us in the metropolitan area and in our normal modern life, we we have this, I think we have, it's a trajectory that brings us all down to some level of mistrust for each other because we only see humanity and we don't get that nature aspect mm-hmm. in our lives, whether it's just a, a hike once a week or once a month or a camping trip of the summer or or what I mean, you know, or even just sticking your toes in the sand at the beach, you mm-hmm. know, and hearing the waves and resetting, you know, I, you know, I think we need more of that because I think I that as humanity keeps us in touch and it will probably help us solve, you know, the global climate issues and, uh, you know, our, our impact on the world as we really get back in touch and not just hate on people, right? but to love nature and then, then we'll take people more in gratitude and understanding and that kind of thing. So I nature totally agree. is the is the cure for for all that ails humanity. I think. I you know <laughs> I tell you that there's huge truth in that because when you're in nature, uh, you're an observer. I mean, I don't know about you. There's there's little talk when I'm hiking, uh, and and as an observer, you. Um, begin to appreciate things, and um, uh, and I think the more you you're quiet and you observe, you the better you understand, and and the, 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 maybe the more um, yeah, the different perspectives that you mm-hmm. begin to look. But when I was writing the book. And uh, one of the triggers that I had, and I won't go into the, the thing, but I just fast forward, I'm in England and uh, out on, on, on the sidewalks with uh, my really good friend, and we're, we're just shopping at one of the markets, and that's when the terrorist bombings hit, and one of the bombs exploded about three blocks from where we were standing, and Andy, I don't know if you've been in a situation where there's been a hurricane or, you know, a a, a travesty, some disaster comes through. But there's one thing that happens, and and 
humanity comes together mm-hmm. and you drop the color of your skin and your religious beliefs, your, you know, sexual orientation, your, your, wherever you are in the world, everything drops. Mm-hmm. And it is the epitome of what I think humanity can become. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a kindness that overflows. Uh, people help each other. You are concerned about each other and you join forces. And, and I experienced that for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that whenever I see, and especially on, on social media, like you say, the friction with the political issues and, and all of that. And I, I have heard and seen friendships that have deteriorated because of opposing beliefs. And, and I think, oh my goodness, you know, where, where are we headed and, and what is going on mm. that we have based such strong opinions on? And instead of, uh, understanding what's really, really important in life. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not a political belief that you held for, for one year, for four years or whatever that might be. Right, right. Well, I think, yeah. I think we make up a lot of that stuff in our head. And I think it gives us, we're, we're lucky and fortunate that we have the time, um, and the comfort level and the resources to, bring that about in our minds because you know just a few hundred years ago before we had you know out in the woods without a rifle we we weren't an apex predator anymore right right. we we were susceptible to just you know being someone's meal and and i think that because we don't have those pressures against us we get to create these things in our head and we get to think we know things that probably we only know a small percentage of but mm-hmm. but yet we project that as if we're experts in some field and that can be political or or otherwise but uh you know back to the human nature and there's the word nature again when these travis you know these tragedies strike then we all pull together and it's it's like an instinct mm-hmm. and it maybe brings us back to that you know that epigenesis of of the tribe and and helping your brother and sister out and, and you know, because we're all human and that that just cuts out all that noise that we create in our minds and we become humanistic, physical, you know, instinctual creatures again. Right. And, right. and I think, you know, that the, the people I know who spend a lot of time in the woods, whether it's hiking the AT or mountain climbing or or just getting away, um, seem to be the most in touch with people with people. And now I'm going to bring that to healthcare now because I've talked about this on the podcast before is that, you know, I'm here in a hospital and a lot of people are walking those halls that don't want to be here. Right. You know, they're not here because they woke up this morning and say, I'm going to go to Baptist hospital. Right. They're here right. because someone called them and said, Hey, get over here. Right. Because someone you love or care about is here and not in a good, good place and they need you. Um, so, you know, you would think that there would be a lot of friction here, but it's it's a place where humanity does show its best side. Mm-hmm. You know, there might be incidents that you hear about on the news that that are contrary to that. But I think, you know, my experience and I've walked through there to the you know go to the cafeteria almost daily and I just see the best in humanity. And this is at the tip of the spear of all those issues 
of social determinants of health and health care and addiction and, mm-hmm. and all those things uh, present themselves right here, you know, whether it's the emergency room or, or you know, a clinic of some sort. And you see people helping people. Mm-hmm. And like you said, the, the color blindness comes on and, and the political ideologies are checked at the you know, at the parking lot right. and, you know, it's just, you're human when you come in here. And I think, you know, this, this time we're talking about building trust and all this stuff. And I think this is an environment that, that, that it's, it's a great foundation for that to be built. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how we get, you know, that vibe out into the community and people off their social media and into being social again in physical spaces. So um, maybe we, you know, can tear down some buildings and, and create forests. Yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? I know. Have a little magic wand that, that could just yeah. transform. And yeah, I, I think that like here at Wake Forest, there's not one person that I know that went to med school, went into nursing or PT or any numerous healthcare field that did not do so wanting to help someone mm-hmm. uh, their heart was connected it was bonded and uh, I think that um, you know uh, that care and that love does more for healing than anything that I can put in a prescription bottle and at the same time if, if I may we also need to remember that those health care providers uh, and especially these nurses uh, and and the doctors that that to be kind and gentle to them because the pressures that they're under and the things that they have to do, the typical person has no concept of of the weight emotionally and psychologically and physically that's put on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know, I think that it would be you know going back to your green theme, <laughs> it would be amazing to have an area of, of, of nature of, of peace for not only the patients but also for our, our friends that are taking care of all those people uh, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes to just breathe some fresh air and and to be at peace and and to reconnect mm-hmm. uh, in, in some sort of way uh, mm-hmm. to rejuvenate yeah, I've been to um, read this quote, and I think it came to mind, um, you know, as I was getting ready for for you to come. And it's uh, Mark Twain, and it's a very famous quote. But he said, "Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on those accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired." By vegetating in one's little corner of the earth all of one's lifetime, oh, and I just beautiful. And, and and you you exemplify that by going out into some of the remote remotest places and and yeah. and, and actually interacting with people who very much look so different than you do and live yeah. so different from us here. Um, so I appreciate that, and oh, I and I love you. that you're bringing that to the schools, and I love that you're bringing. Um, these plant-based medicines into the lab so that it can benefit humanity and, and also the reverence that you give to nature to, to preserve that. Thank you, Andy. I, it, it really, and I'm not just saying this, I look back on my life and I have been so blessed with uh, the, the opportunities and, and the protection. Um, our, our team 
and mentioned that in the book several times, or you don't even have to mention it in the book. But Mm -hmm. in fact, I don't mention it in the book, but you can just derive from the stories that the divine protection that has been over us and and the situations that that we've been in. And, um, you know, I... One other thing is I think that you have dreams and you have goals in life. And especially our younger generation, the, some of the things that I've seen when I've talked to some of them is that they want that instant gratification. They want this and they want to be CEO of a company and, and pulling in one point some million their first year. Um, but you've got to be patient. And, and the greatest things in life take time. And they take perseverance, and they take determination, and they take surmounting insurmountable obstacles mm. sometimes. And like for me, I, I continued to work full time uh, up until just a few years ago, and that full time job paid for these expeditions until mm-hmm. we got our first investors. And I would have it no other way. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to give everything you you have and when you think you can't give any more you still give more and uh, so anyway i just wanted to say that because i think sometimes people get frustrated and disappointed and they give up too soon mm-hmm. yeah I, I think i mean just experiencing things that are outside your normal uh, ways of, of living your daily life and, and and maybe you do it badly but you're still doing something else to create a new experience that can enrich your life. And it may not it may cost you right. financially or it may cost you, you know, in some other way, but it, you, you have a story to tell. And right. It may grow you in ways you didn't you, you, you didn't anticipate. And therein, that's that's the beauty in life is you grow and you you change. And don't you think oh, yeah. that it, it's it's when I look back on my life, it's it's not about, you know, the materialistic things and it's not about what you have or the car you drive or anything. It, 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 it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's the love that you've shared and the, the friendships that you've made. And it's the person that you've become because of those experiences in life and the people that you know. Mm-hmm. And I look back and it's like, I know it's, it's a little cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway, but it, it's like, if you think about your heart your heart really is bits and pieces of all of those special moments and those times and those people that you've mm-hmm. been lucky enough to have in life. Absolutely. And and at the end of life, you you hope that that heart is just exploding because you've taken those opportunities uh, and 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 haven't just shied away from them and missed uh, the the times that you could have right. Uh, and hopefully you can sit around a campfire and tell those great yeah, stories and I like share that. them. <laughs> oh, some s'mores. That's right. Well, I, I'm sure a million other questions will will come up when we finish. So I, I'll, I'll probably invite you to come back. Um, oh, it would be an honor. And the book is "And the Silent Spoke." Um, that's Amy Greason, HealingSeekers.com. I encourage everyone to go see see what she's up to, and and uh, I'm sure there are ways of of providing um, funding if, if if people are so inclined, I guess. And of course, buy the book. And um, anything else you want to say for the? No, I think that's. I, I appreciate it, and I really appreciate the time. It was uh, such a pleasure to be here with you, Andy. Well, I enjoyed it too. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. Thank you.